Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. This show is live every Tuesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on the Revolution Broadcasting Radio Network. Today is Tuesday, August 31st, 2010. We have a great show lined up for you today in which we're going to continue to discuss the methodologies of mind control, and we're going to go into technique for mind control number six, which is controlled opposition. Controlled opposition will be the topic for tonight. Let me give the call-in number for this show. The call-in number is 724-444-7444. Once again, the call-in number for this show, and you can call in and talk about anything you like. As always, there are no taboo topics here, and as always, your phone calls I will attempt to put first and uh, put everything aside if I see a caller on the line. Be patient and hold on. If I see you on the switchboard, I'll take your call. The call-in number, once again, 724-444-7444. When you call in, you have to punch in the call ID number. The call ID number for this show is 83515. So the call ID number after you call in for what on earth is happening is 83515. I have a couple of event announcements for tonight. So I'll go over them first all right coming up over the next couple of weeks truth freedom prosperity okay it looks okay it looks like we're back on um we had some technical difficulties there it looks like my 
Uh, Skype connection dropped out for a moment. Let me uh, try to get back into the network. Hold on one moment, ladies and gentlemen. Please bear with me. Okay, I think we're back live. So I'll continue where I left off. Sorry for the technical difficulties, folks. Um, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity, a very uh, active group in the Philadelphia area, uh, will be hosting their monthly free documentary screenings and discussions at the Ethical Society in Philadelphia. This will be taking place Monday evening, September 20th, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., at the Ethical Society building. The Ethical Society is at 1906 South Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. This month, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity will be screening the documentary, 10 Rules for Dealing with Police. Here's the description. Learn to flex your sovereignty with flexyourrights.org's latest film, 10 Rules for Dealing with Police. From the creators of the 2003 classic, Busted, The Citizen's Guide to Surviving Police Encounters, FlexYourRights.org has released its newest achievement, 10 Rules for Dealing with Police, a 40-minute docudrama which depicts innocent people dealing with heavy-handed policing tactics used every day in the United States. This film is a powerful resource that provides proven survival strategies for dealing with racial profiling and police abuse. After watching 10 Rules for Dealing with Police, you'll be more confident and better prepared to handle every kind of police situation. Learn how to deal with traffic stops, street stops, and police at your door. Know your rights and maintain your cool. Avoid common police tricks and prevent humiliating searches. Once again, 10 Rules for Dealing with Police free documentary showing at the Ethical Society building in Philadelphia, 1906 South Rittenhouse Square, September 20th, 7 to 9 p.m. And uh, for more information on that event and other events, you can go to truthfreedomprosperity.org, a great group here in the Philadelphia area. And finally, another event announcement. The conference that I will be hosting next year, along with some other great event organizers that I've partnered with in this area, Free Your Mind, a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. This is a unique two-day conference scheduled for April 9th and 10th, 2011 in Philadelphia, PA, featuring multiple speakers and diverse educational materials for the purpose of raising public awareness of the critically important topics of mass mind control techniques, covert and subversive influences upon consciousness and behavior, trauma-based and ritualized abuse, and the practical mental and emotional healing methodologies available for those affected by these devices. The date is Saturday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 10th, 2011. The event will take place from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. both days, with the doors opening at 9 a.m. each day. The location is Ruba Hall. That's at 414 Green Street in Philadelphia, 19123. The admission price, very reasonable, set at only $20 per person per day. 
and the confirmed speakers, and we have a couple of new confirmed speakers to announce this week, and more will be being added as the weeks go on. We have potentially some really big news as far as speakers go. I can't uh, mention that just yet because we're still in uh, negotiations with certain people. So uh, the confer totally confirmed speakers, here's the list so far. Aaron McCollum, Alfred Weber, Andrew Basiago, Farah Yurdozu, Jay Parker. Just added this week, Larkin Rose. Very excited about having Larkin on board. Laura Eisenhower, myself, Mark Passio, Michael Kelly, and Suzanne Taylor. So the lineup is getting better as the weeks go on, and we hope to have a couple of big announcements in the near future. That's Free Your Mind, a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult, April 9th and 10th, 2011, right here in Philadelphia. For more information, visit the conference website at www.freeyourmindconference.com. All right. Let me just give the call-in number one more time for those who may not have gotten it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when uh, the, the uh, drop of the call took place there on, uh, on Skype. So uh, the call-in number for the show, 724-444-7444, and the call ID number, 83515, which you have to punch in after you call the call-in number. So today we are going to continue our discussion on the methodologies of mind control with the sixth general methodology being controlled opposition, which I will explain what that is. I began the explanation of that late in the program last week. But I want to very quickly review the techniques that we have covered thus far. So far in our discussion on mind control, we have talked about obfuscation, which is basically making an idea or a concept obscure or unclear or confusing to someone, completely bewildering. This keeps the person's mind in a state of manipul manipulability, able to be manipulated, able to be controlled from a distance. If someone is not clear about concepts and ideas, and understand indeed how things actually work in nature according to natural law, they can be easily manipulated and controlled. We looked at the types of obfuscation that occur. We looked at the obfuscation of simplicity because truth is always simple with complexity, the notion that it is impossible to know the truth because it's too complex, much too complex. Why bother even beginning a search for truth it's too complex for you to comprehend to begin with, so why bother? When in fact, the truth is always simple, and it is simply based upon general building blocks that one has to grasp in order to go forward into a further explanation and a further exploration of that which is. We looked at the obfuscation of principles, which are truths based in natural law with man's law, lowercase l, man's law. We saw that another technique of obfuscation is the, the um, 
replacing of dominion, which is the control of oneself, of one's own thoughts, emotions, and actions, the rulership of the kingdom of self, as we called it, and replacing that with fear of punishment, which is based in man's law, and it is the lowest possible consciousness which anyone can take any action in, the fear of punishment. We looked at the obfuscation of gnosis, knowledge, true knowledge, taken from direct experience with belief systems, institutionalized belief systems of all kinds being raised to obfuscate truth and knowledge or gnosis. And finally, we saw that obfuscation works upon true individuality, the true worth of the self, and it obscures that with culture, which is a local operating system that essentially robs the individual of the most unique expression of their individuality, which is the ability to think for oneself. The second technique of mind control that we looked at over the last weeks, and again, these are all podcasted and available on my site on the podcast section at whatonearthishappening.com. We looked at worldview poisoning, and this is exactly what it states in the words to be. It is poisoning someone's way of seeing themselves in relationship to everything else. We saw that this works upon three basic modalities. The poisoning of how one sees basic human nature. And we saw that, in effect, there is much more nurture taking place than nature at all. One is essentially programmed from very young, a very young age, and that is what one's worldview becomes based upon because it is being put into a certain worldview through what one hears, what one reads, what one takes in from one's environment. I likened it to the allegory of the movie Trading Places, which, again, I can't recommend highly enough. And it is a veiled Masonic allegory in what it is putting forward as well, because there are two older rich gentlemen who have a bet going that they can change the nature of one of them bets the other that he can change the nature of two other people. One who is a very low consciousness individual, uh, uh, street oriented, and um, essentially has little respect for others and others' value and property, uh, etc. And the other person is a very rich socialite, uh, works on the stock exchange floor and uh, has the best of everything uh, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, as they say. And there's a bet between these super-rich elitists uh, as to whether they can actually make these two individuals switch places in effect. And the, the, the person who really doesn't understand how it works and thinks he knows, um, who eventually does lose the bet, thinks that human nature is set in stone and is a product of simply genetics, and it's just like that from birth. And the other person thinks that it can be changed depending on the environment that the person is put in. So an interesting story ensues in the movie, 
And uh, I highly recommend people watch it because I think it is a very accurate reflection of what human nature is and is not. We saw that that has everything to do with worldview poisoning, this second technique of manipulation that we looked into. The second component of worldview poisoning is to poison one's view of the value of themselves. What is the value of an individual? Is it a number? Is it how much money one has in their bank account? Is it what kind of car they drive? How, how their lifestyle is? How they live? Or is it an, an ineffable quality? Is it something that is essentially limitless? Is it infinite? Because it is based on the true inner being or the spirit of an individual that animates everything. Well, a worldview poisoner wants you to accept that you have, you have value based on a number that can be assigned or taken away based upon what you have physically in the world. And this is a total obfuscation and a total technique of mind control called worldview poisoning. The third component of this worldview poisoning is the elimination in someone's mind of the possibility for change. Because once you have uprooted the human imagination and eliminated one's thought processes from envisioning change is possible of taking place, you have the person exactly where you want them and they are very likely ever to rebel against your view of the world. The third technique of mind control that we looked at in past weeks was the exploitation of primal subconscious fears rooted deep in the human psyche. We saw that these fears were the fear of darkness, the fear of being preyed upon, of predation, predators, the fear of abandonment by a strong father figure, and the fear of ensuing chaos as a result of these other eventualities coming to a head, namely darkness, predation, and abandonment. These are ancient psychological embedded fears that are embedded deep in the subconscious mind that we all carry. Some of us carry these consciously and understand them and work with them, but most of us carry these unconsciously. And that is why they can be exploited by the controlling type, the person who wants to get into the subconscious, understand how it works, and exploit that to their benefit at the expense of others. The fourth overall mind control technique that we explored in past weeks was the divide and conquer strategy. Divide and conquer. This is the methodology of exploiting our perceived differences from each other. And we saw there, were, um, there was multifaceted ways that this divide and conquer strategy takes place through sex, through age, through class, through religion, through politics, etc., etc. We're going to talk about this again tonight in relation with controlled opposition because for opposition to take place, there must be division. And this is one of the ways the controlled opposition works to conquer people. So technique number four is intricately interwoven with technique number six, which we'll be discussing this evening. Number five was indoctrination, and we just wrapped up over the last two weeks a two-part series 
on outcome-based education, which is the system of so-called education that we have in the United States today and indeed throughout the Western world, throughout Western civilization, we saw that this is simply the technique of mind control known as indoctrination. That is what our children are receiving in public schools in the modern world, a good indoctrination, but not a very good education or the ability or, or education being defined truly as the ability to think in a critical manner. And that's not what is being received in the public school system that we have in the United States today. It is an indoctrination system. And I encourage people to go back and listen to these past two shows over the past two weeks because I think they revealed a lot about why people fight often for years to come out of the mind-controlled state that they are put into through the education system in, in this country. And oftentimes it takes more years than the indoctrination took for them to really wake up, as the, the term goes, to, to actually arise from that unconscious slumbering state that the indoctrination system has placed them into since they were very, very young. That is why the state wants to get hold of children at the youngest age possible and keep them in that controlled paradigm that the public school system is so good at reinforcing. So today we are going to talk about the, the, top, the concept of controlled opposition, or what I began explaining last week is known as a dialectic, a system of dialectics. So we'll be talking about what opposition is, we'll be talking about what a dialectic is, and we'll specifically be getting into something known as the Hegelian dialectic, and this will be a good introduction to that topic, which we will be covering much later in, in, uh, in shows in coming weeks when we talk about the concept called chaos sorcery. We talked in previous weeks about magic versus sorcery and how these are very real psychological techniques, magic being the art and science of influencing change to occur in accordance with higher will, with the will of nature, the will of the universe, and sorcery being manipulation to create change in accordance with the lower will, which is the ego-driven will of the sorcerer himself or herself. Of course, controlled opposition is a technique of this overarching concept, sorcery, and it is a technique of mind control, which is the vehicle for sorcery. Controlled opposition is setting two seemingly antithetical sides against each other in a play, in an act in a fiction in order to gain a higher ground from which one can witness and control the conflict that ensues. That is what controlled opposition is. It is getting two opposite sides to essentially sit across from a game board, like a chess board, 
and play game, yet the third component, the third side, the ultimate master that is setting these two sides against each other, always wins out in the end because they manage the conflict and they manage the spoils of the conflict. War is the ultimate example of a controlled opposition, of a dialectical mechanic operation in work. Opposition in general is the resistance. It it is resistance. That's what opposition is. It is tension. It is conflict. That's what opposition means. Opposition is resistance that is expressed in either action or argument. That is what the, the definition of opposition is. So, it can be expressed as competition between rivals. It can be expressed as a political rivalry between parties. And we will talk about the political parties as an aspect of controlled opposition. We see this in sports teams. This is also a dialectic, getting people to root for their favorite team in in different cities, setting cities against each other, getting them to identify with the the local baseball team or football team. When in fact, all they're really doing is giving over money to be entertained for a little while, get emotionally involved in something because they may lack this in other areas of their lives, namely emotional involvement and good times and good feelings, and then to essentially clean up on everything that you could possibly sell them, the ticket price, the price of food, the price of merchandise, and on and on it goes. One of the best examples of controlled opposition or dialectical mechanics is professional wrestling. And indeed, pro wrestling is essentially what politics is. They work exactly the same way. It's all a staged event. It's all a passion play. The wrestlers are friends behind the scenes. They'll go out for dinner after an event. They go down to the arena. They, they beat each up beat up on each other for a while and yes of course their bodies take physical tolls because the bumps that they take are real but the outcomes are all staged and and predetermined and they're cleaning up on ticket sales on food sales on merchandise sales more than anything else and then the wrestlers like each other in the background and they'll go out for a meal or go out to a bar afterward and hang out and It is all simply to satisfy something that is lacking in the psyche of the individuals taking part in and accepting the play, the fiction, as truth that they can invest themselves in. In politics, this is done because people are lacking a vehicle for really creating change in their own lives because they don't know themselves well enough to do that on their own. So they always want an external figure 
to create change and to better their lives for them. Therefore, they're encouraged to go out and vote for one of the two political parties, one of their two representatives, their elected officials of these two political parties. And in doing that, they believe that they are going to receive change, that they are going to get something in return that they really truly need and that they seek and that is critical for them to have in their lives. That will bring something that they formerly lacked, which is knowledge of self. And at the end of the game, at the end of the day, they're still going to lack that knowledge of self. They're still going to be looking on the outside for something that they lack on the inside because you can never get it from an external dialectic. You can never get it from controlled opposition. You can never get it by, being, by, by agreeing to be represented. You can never get it by taking emotional involvement and taking part in a controlled play, in a controlled puppet show that's, that was never real to begin with. Although many people will go to their graves thinking, thinking to themselves that this is real, that there is something to politics, that there really is differences between left and right, that there really is differences between conservative and, Republic, conservative and liberal, between Republican and Democrat, between uh, conservative and labor, if, if you're uh, talking about British politics, it's all controlled by the same dynamic forces. And those are the forces which essentially rule the financial world and the banking institutions. And ultimately, these are the occult forces that ultimately rule the minds and thinking of the people of Earth and ultimately determine through their manipulation what to other people is reality. And again, I, I'm saying this from the perspective of what reality is only in their own minds, not what it actually is. See, that's why the controlled oppositional paradigm is in place. It's to get people to look at the puppet show. You could open up the curtain and you could look at the puppet show. Just don't try to walk up on the stage close enough that you can see the strings and certainly don't try to follow those strings up to where they're actually being pulled by the puppet masters and look at, get a good glimpse and look at who they are and how they actually work this manipulation of puppets. That is what the political game is. So opposition, resistance expressed in action or argument We'll see controlled opposition in media. You have the liberal media. You have the conservative media. And people really believe that there's a difference between these. They get involved in Noam Chomsky's politics. Okay? The leftist liberal. They'll, they'll really, really hear, go to hear what he'll have to say when he won't touch anything about real mind control and manipulation that's taking place from the highest levels. He won't touch the occult. But he'll, he'll talk about 
you know, war as, as a conflict resolution. You look at the right side. You'll look at Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly or Glenn Beck. Well, are, are these guys talking about the high-level financial manipulators at the Federal Reserve? No, because they'll lose their jobs if they did. Because the Fed and the people who own the Fed also own basically all of the media outlets in this country. And they'll shut down their shows and put them on the street real fast if they started talking about that. So these guys have boxes, set limits that they have to stay within. Controlled paradigms. There's a limit to what they can say and express or who they can go after or shine light upon if they're doing harm, if they're manipulating people. You won't hear them talking about the Federal Reserve. I talk to people who watch Fox News, and they actually think that they're well-informed as a result. Just because some of the talking heads on Fox speak out against the uh, current socialist administration, the left-leaning administration, that's only in there for a reason. Because if there's only one political party, eventually people will realize that it's all about total control, and there'll be opposition built up against that. There will be change, resistance. There will be a, a desire for change, and there will be resistance to that one force because it will be able to be clearly seen as a mechanism for total control. In order to allay that force, in order to combat that resistance that would come in, you need an opposing force. The opposing force leans upon that initial party to create a very strong architectural structure, a very strong foundational structure of the entire architecture, and that is an arch. An arch is where two opposing forces are leaning against each other in architecture, and that is one of the strongest shapes that exists in architecture. This is because opposing forces, uh, forces create a greater strength that, than either one of the two forces that they could exert on their own. In, in combining them, the force is much greater than they could ever exert on their own. So you lean two pillars together, or you put two political parties together, and you get people swaying back and forth between them, one attacking the other, one getting emotionally involved, and then basically playing off against the others, ill deeds, Bush just got out of office a couple of year, years ago, all the harm that he did to this country, and everybody was thinking Obama would come in and be the savior because they're, they're ready for change, and he sold it to them. He sold it to them like a bag of popcorn at a movie theater, okay? Came in there promising them the world and is leading the country further into the world socialist regime, the world fascist regime known as the New World Order or the one world government, or just 100% total control and the elimination of all human freedom. That's all it really is. That's all both parties at the highest levels. That's all their agenda is. Because they're working for the same masters, and their masters want that goal. 
Their international banking overlords want that goal. The owners of the Fed want that goal. So it doesn't matter what political party is in. You can vote all you want. Unless change is created at a grassroots level and is, and is created through the changing of one's consciousness, the internal qualities of the self, one's own thoughts, one's own emotions, and one, one's own actions in the world. And these being in keeping with moral principles, you're never going to see change reflected on the outside by any other means. Don't wait for it. Don't expect it. It will never happen that way. It will, no savior is coming to save us. No political party member, no matter how well-intentioned he is, working through the political, the corrupt political system, is going to right these wrongs, is going to correct these problems. It isn't going to happen through an external mechanism. It's all a dialectic. It's all to get you not to look in the mirror and look at yourself and to work upon the self. It's all a distraction. It's the cul-de-sac before the gold mine, as they say, as the expression goes. You're looking to get to the gold mine, and, and in the maze there are many cul-de-sacs. But just before you get there, there's a long corridor, and there's a few cul-de-sacs off to the left and right that get you spinning around in circles so you never actually reach the goal, which is the true elevation of consciousness and the true opening of the real eye that sees how it all works. So for any party believers, shall we say, that actually believe in the political paradigm, the left-right paradigm, that may be listening, I, I would doubt that we have many people listening to this show this far into it that actually accept that that false dichotomy, that left-right paradigm of controlled opposition. It is all an illusion. No better case of the illusion of the political left-right paradigm and the political aspect of controlled opposition than the 2004 presidential election. The 2004 presidential election was between George Bush Jr. and John Kerry. Now, at first glance, one might say, well, one is a neoconservative, George Bush, and the other is a, a liberal Democrat, John Kerry. In word, yes, that may be true. But if you look at the background of both of these individuals, they're both members of one of the darkest occult organizations on the face of the earth, known as the Order of Skull and Bones. The Order of Skull and Bones out of Yale University. A very, very restrictive and elite club that recruits individuals from Yale that they groom to be future world leaders. And in this case, out of the 15 people that may be members of the Skull and Bones, recruited for the Skull and Bones any given year, two are running for president, both of them members of a highly elite occult organization known as the Order of Skull and Bones. Both Bush and Kerry, members of this lodge, which is known as the Order of Death. And the symbolism is very clear. 
the symbolism of the skull and bones, thought and action combined. The skull is the symbol for thought, where the brain is and where thought takes place. And the bones, the symbol for action or will. But what is missing from the equation is emotion or empathy or spirit that is devoid in those that are groomed in this organization. Because they are simply groomed to do whatever is necessary to put forward the agenda of their owners, of their family elite bloodline masters. Because even people at this level have owners. And we talked about how police have owners, how they're just following orders. The military have owners, and their owners mock them at every turn, going so far as to put dog tags around their neck, telling them in the open that they're their dogs. And I've said over past weeks, this is the word that is used in the dark occult from firsthand experience. I've been involved with some of these organizations myself. From firsthand experience, they only have two words for people that they call people in general in the world. They call people the dead, the dead, yeah. And they call people, and they call their controller class our dogs, the dead and the dogs wonderful human beings we're talking about at these levels of manipulation. And that is basically how they view even people who do their bidding at lower levels like politicians. It's simply their dogs. They're on a leash. They're at the end of, the, end of their strings. And I'm talking about the strings of the real manipulators, the high-level occultists that really formulate these methodologies know how they work, and understand how to implement them at a deep subconscious level. Only by knowing these techniques can we really steel ourselves against them. Only by really a deep understanding and appreciation of how these techniques really work can we really put on any kind of armor, any kind of protection against these methodologies. And there are so few that understand truly how they work. I ha had a discussion with someone that, you know, thinks that what she's seeing on Fox News is wonderful. You cannot see through the controlled oppositional paradigm as yet. We need to break down that paradigm and understand that there's something that is controlling both seemingly polar forces but these polar forces are really working together hand-in-hand hand to accomplish the same goals. So, opposition. This can be expressed through adversaries or competitors in political rivalries, sports rivalries, philosophical rivalries, it's a basic contrast between two seemingly polar forces, what is known as an antithesis, things that are, are in antithesis with each other, direct conflict. And what controlled opposition is, ultimately, is managing that conflict, such that the outcome of the conflict 
will be in the favor of the one manipulating and controlling the conflict. War, as I said, is one of the biggest examples. This is two countries battling, for instance. Who wants war? Who do you know? What common person do you know wants war? Who, who would you go up to on the street and say, do you want war? And they say, oh, yeah, I, I love it. Love it. Can't wait for another. I hope it goes on forever. How many people do you know that that's their attitude about war? Hardly anyone. Yet, war is continuous and ongoing, constantly. Well, if no one wants it, how could it be going on constantly? Well, there are people who want war. Very few people ever see or meet them. These are these high-level occultists that I am speaking of that are really in control of this entire game. They're the people who manufacture the weapons. They're the people who manage the debt of the conflict as a result of having to purchase the weapons and the fuel. They're the people who own the fuel and meet it out in the limited quantities that they, that they meet it out to create this, this consciousness of scarcity and limitation. They're the people who, who suppress alternative energy technologies so that we're stuck on these quote-unquote fossil fuel-based fuels. So they are managing the, mechanism through, the mechanisms through which wars are fought, which is weaponry, energy, and the money that is needed for both of those things, which results in enormous, immeasurable debt. Debt which is borrowed against these high-level controllers' financial institutions, is borrowed from their high-level financial institutions, central banks that lend money to governments, and then they end up as the controllers of the outcome, which is the debt that arises from fighting the wars to begin with. So often they'll fund both sides. They'll fund both sides. They'll laugh at all the death taking place, at people killing each other for no reason except their own amusement. That's what the real controllers of the world are kicking back doing. While you think, soldier out there, while, while you think you're so glorious in war and you're doing such a deed for your country, and you're eliminating the evils out there overseas, your owners are given a huge belly laugh laughing at you, hysterically. They can't laugh hard enough. They're crying. Tears are, dri are dribbling down their cheeks. They're laughing so hysterically. It's a big knee slapper to them, and it's a gigantic belly laugh. And I'm telling you from firsthand experience, this is how these people think. I know this. This isn't my opinion. I know this. But believe what you want. Believe what you want. There are those who tried to tell you that you're owned and that they own you because they own your mind. So while, while you're out with all of these grandiose visions of honor and glory and serving one's country... Your owners, who consider you their dogs, like Henry Kissinger, who said that military men are dumb 
animals to be used as pawns in foreign policy. Not my words, one of the manipulators of the world who controls and, and strategizes over troop movements, Henry Kissinger, who advises uh, military leaders and presidents about how to, how to essentially use the bodies of their dogs. And, and you can think my words are harsh all you want, okay? I'm the one trying to tell you how it works. So you want to get angry at the messenger? You go right ahead. Get as angry as you want. Freak out all you want by, by someone saying this to you, soul dire. Right in the word, right in the word of somebody that they manipulate to, to believe in these controlled oppositional paradigms like war, like politics, okay? Right in the word, you're being mocked openly. You're being called a soul dire. Soul meaning one. The death of the one, the death of the individual, the death of the soul, meaning the spirit. Think about it. It's right in the word. I mean, you're not even looking at the word about what, of that which you call yourself. And they call you a soul dyer. And you think that's an accident? <laughs> that's hilarious to your owners. Hilarious. But get as offended as you like. Because you're still doing their bidding and still not seeing what it's really about, that they're going to the bank while you're going to the grave and sending other people who had nothing to do with what you think they had something to do with to their grave, which you have no natural law right to do. But because you don't know enough and because you just listen to what other people tell you and you don't follow order and you just follow orders, just because you want to be absolved of personal responsibility and thinking for oneself. That's all it's about. And no one would convince me that that's not what it's about. That's all it's about. That's all people buy controlled opposition for. They buy controlled opposition because they do not want to think. Period. Full stop. That's why people buy into controlled opposition. They don't want to think for themselves. They want somebody else to do their thinking for them, represent them and their interests, and they think they're going to come out on top. They're going to come out ahead by, by letting other people do that. They think their lives are going to work out wonderfully. It's just all magically and majestically going to work out for their eternal self-betterment by letting other people think for them and represent their own interests. Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. Okay? What these controllers, what these sorcerers, these occultists are looking for is exactly that mentality. They want people to willingly, of their own accord, of their own free will, hand over to them their ability to manage their own lives, make their own decisions, and essentially think for themselves. And they're all, they'll be all too happy to do that for you at the expense of your own freedom, your own sovereignty, your own ability to make the decisions about what is best for you in your life, and eventually at the very cost of your life itself. Because in giving over all of these powers to these individuals, you're basically saying, 
yeah, I admit that I'm owned by you, and you could essentially do whatever you want with me, my consciousness, my body. And that's what war is, and that's what all military is. Someone else claiming ownership of your body like a piece of property. And you don't have enough self-respect. And I'm ta- saying those two words in the true definitions. Not what you may think of as self-respect, but what the, that term really means. I'm talking about higher case S self. Not the ego self, not the body. The true self, which we talked about the qualities of in past shows. The true dynamics and aspects of self. You don't have respect for that. You don't know what that is because you don't know yourself. If you knew yourself, you wouldn't even join an institution that asks you not to think. You'd not want to be any part of that because you would know who you are. You would understand yourself. You would know the psyche. You would know the mind. You would know the soul. And you certainly wouldn't join to become a soul dyer. And again, think all you want that... that, that Magical language or what's known as green language isn't real and it isn't really saying something to you in your subconscious. Go and think that all you want. You're totally fooling yourself and you're the one who's being played, played like a fiddle. And like I've said before in past shows, bowing down to this oppositional paradigm and giving one's own ability to make one's own critical thinking decisions over to a third party, you're not really being played. You're playing yourself. They don't have to play you. You're doing it to yourself, ultimately. See? That's how it, with the dynamic that's really going on and what's really happening is you are playing yourself like a fiddle. You're not even really being played at some level. Okay? They're all too happy to tell you what they think of you, too. That you're dumb, stupid animals to be used as pawns. Imagine saying that to another living being. You are my dumb animal to be used as my pawns in my game of chess. And I'll give you dog tags to prove it to you, animal. Imagine this. And you fall for it. And think that this is something to look at as honorable. Honorable. And let's put it this way, folks. Here's where I'm different than other people. And what I'm doing is I'm not pointing the finger outward. You may think that initially. I'll turn it around and point it right inward. Okay? I formerly worked with some of these people, and I held their worldview. I was mind-controlled. I was under their influence. I actually bought all the misanthropy, the hatred for humanity that they were putting out, that they based their ideology upon. Okay? The difference between me and someone who holds with a stranglehold grip on their belief systems is I was able to say to myself, upon realizing what it was about, I was wrong. I was able to say the three most powerful words that can ever be spoken through human lips. I was wrong. My ego was not that calcified that I couldn't see the error of my own ways. And also what makes what I'm saying different than how some other people will simply point fingers outward and never take a look at themselves or those around them. See, people will get offended by this because they'll have a husband in the service. 
they'll, they'll get offended because, oh, my father was a soldier. They'll get offended because my brother's in Iraq right now, man. Don't talk about him like that. See, it's all an emotional attachment, all emotionally tied up in the controlled opposition. So they'll say, oh, I support the person, but not the war. Okay, so you support the person. This is another mind control technique. You know, supporting the person who was a cop taking people's natural law rights away from them, telling them that they can't assemble and, and speak and protest. Supporting the soldier who's killing innocent people in foreign lands that had nothing to do with things that are claimed that they had something to do with. Oh, you, you support the person, but you don't support the thing that the person is doing. Well, you can't separate those two things. You can't say, I love this person, but I hate what they're doing. You can, but you're in denial. You're totally fooling yourself. There's, those two things are one and the same. The person's actions are an aspect of their own consciousness, and therefore it is the dynamic that they are choosing, whether they're mind-controlled or not, to put out into the world and therefore make this world what it is. And you have to come to an acceptance of that. And the object is not to support these controlled paradigms like war, like politics, voting for a leader, believing in the two opposing sides of the media or newspapers or religion. There's another big controlled oppositional paradigm. What religion am I going to believe in? All an illusion, all another form of mind control. Government, the form that works upon the left brain, that calcifies in the left brain, and religion, the form that calcifies in the right brain. Just two oppositional tactics to split the mind. Because that's all they're ultimately trying to create opposition in, is the mind. That's this battleground. That's where they have to create div div division. That's where they have to embed divisive ideologies, us versus them. We got to go get them before they get us. The police seeing things in total us versus them mentality. A friend of mine who I won't name told me a couple of days ago that he, he, he's in a position where he works with police in this city and he overheard conversations of them. And th this is how diseased this is how mentally ill some of these police are. And I, I, I've, we, I've talked about this. Police have mental illness. The reason pe people don't understand why police act in the deranged ways that they act, because they don't understand that they have literal brain damage through living in the left brain and the R-complex of the brain all the time. Their entire lifestyle is set up about Total immersion in the physical and total immersion in total survival. Always looking at the, the next person that comes up to them as somebody that may potentially be a danger to them or a threat against their physical well-being that they have to be on guard against. This is our complex consciousness. The our complex being the very base level of the brain. I started talking about the symbology of this last week in relation to the first degree tracing board of Freemasonry, which I posted as a picture uh, on the podcast section for last week's show, and how police are mocked and, and 
ritually and symbolically mocked through the emblems that they wear, like a checkerboard floor being wrapped around their head on their hat. This telling them symbolically through Masonic symbolism that you are totally in base consciousness. You are essentially an animal in consciousness, one who is incapable of reasoning, incapable of comprehending or even conceptualizing natural law, doesn't understand truth from falsehood, light from dark, natural law from total deception. And they're being told this, not in words, but through symbols, through a symbolic language that their owners know they're too stupid to even understand or comprehend. So my, my friend was telling me about cops that he works with. He is not one, but he works in a supportive capacity. That's all I'll, I'll say about, you know, the actual profession he's in. Said that he overhear, overheard two cops saying how much they enjoy shooting dogs dead when they enter in a, in a break-in, in, in a situation where they have to break in to, to someone's home to, let's say, confiscate drugs or make arrests or, or, or uh, you know, take people into custody. They enjoy, the first thing they do, regardless of what the dog, the situation of the dog is, whether it's under control, attacking them or not, they put a bullet in the dog. And they said they love doing this because what they really want to do is just have the, the total right to go and shoot anybody they want and put a bullet in people without any, any excuse. So they know people won't make a big uproar or a big stink about a dog being shot because, oh, if it was attacking the officer, of course they had to defend themselves. It, it was an animal. It was an, an out-of-control animal. See, if they just broke in and put a bullet in somebody, they, they, they'd have to justify their action. You know, they'd have to justify that action and say, why did you kill the person? Maybe they weren't armed. Maybe they weren't really threatening you. And you could, you know, do analysis through forensics about what the, the situation that was actually occurring in the room when they shot that person. But a dog, no one's going to stand up for the animal's rights to not be shot and killed. So they can easily get away with that. And they were talking about how much they love doing this. Imagine this. The animalistic consciousness that you have to be in through this controlled oppositional paradigm of us versus them and how this locks in with divide and conquer. So re real quick, I want to read a general definition of what a dialectic is. So we'll, we'll start looking at what dialectics are and how they work in different aspects of society. We'll take a look at the, the Hegelian dialectic based on the philosophy of George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, German philosopher. We will take a look at another controlled oppositional paradigm called the New Age Movement if we have time today. Okay? Right now, it's the top of the hour. Okay? Um, a little after the top of the hour. We had a little technical difficulties in the first hour, so I'm running a little behind schedule, but no problem. Uh, I want to give the call-in number again. I see we have a caller on the line. Caller that's holding, please hold on. I see you on the switchboard. I'll get to you in a moment. The call-in number, 724-444-7444. Once again, the call 
in number, 724-444-7444. The call ID number that you have to punch in when you call in is 83515. Once again, the call ID number, 83515. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. And let's, uh, let's pick up where we left off with uh, a definition of what a dialectic is. A dialectic is a dispute or debate that is especially intended to resolve differences between two views rather than to establish one of them as true. I'll read that one more time. A dialectic is a disputation or debate, especially intended to resolve differences between two views rather than to establish one of them as true. That's the actual definition of a dialectic. Now, in terms of philosophy, this term originally applied to a method of philosophizing by means of question and answer employed by certain ancient philosophers, notably Socrates. This is who a dialectic is traditionally uh, um, given to as the the inventor of. So it is traditionally attributed to Socrates as the person who essentially came up with the philosophy of dialectic mechanics. So it applies to philosophizing by means of question and answer. This is called the Socratic method, and it is essentially the art of conversation. If you really want to get down to it, it is learning and changing through conversing. That is ultimately what the real definition of a dialectic is. So this is not sinister. The idea in and of itself does not carry sinister connotations. Okay? If we look at the word dialectic, which I started breaking down last week, dia in Greek means way or through, by way of, through. And lecto, lectere, or lectus means a choice. Lectus is choice, dia is through. So it means through a choice, by discussing something, by conversing, by questioning and answering, we are discovering the truth through comparing things and choosing the better between them, that which elevates us to a higher level and that which serves who we really are. That's what a dialectic really is. So in and of itself, it is nothing that is inherently bad or evil. It is how it is used that always determines whether it serves us or whether it serves toward our detriment. So we have to keep that in mind. So let's look at the word conversation. A conversation is often a form of a dialectic. It is two people who never share the exact same view. They converse, and in the outcome, each one of them comes away with something new and somewhat different that shapes their view a little bit. The word conversation in itself, in its, in its etymology, reflects this. The prefix con, C-O-N, in the Latin language means together or with. And the second part of conversation or converse is versare. 
verso versare, which means to change or to turn. In the context of to turn, it, mean, it doesn't mean to turn physically. It means to change. Like leaves turn a different color. The season's turning. Okay? They changed. So versare means to change, to transform. So what does conversation really mean is to change together. In a true conversation, not a debate, but a true conversation. See, a debate is where someone is holding firm to what they believe and is trying to win an argument. They're not trying to change. They're trying to have that argument rule. In a conversation, people bring forward different ideas, and they each take something from what has been discussed and questioned and um, sent back and forth as an exchange between the two of them, and in the end, a synthesis emerges. They each come away with something new and different. So that's what a true conversation is. It means to change together, and it is a positive form of a dialectic. There are negative forms of the dialectic, which is controlling and managing the outcome of some sort of Adversary, adversarial behavior or competition. And we've already talked about war. We have talked about setting people off against each other, police and the general public. That's a, a dialectic. Politics is a dialectic. Religion is a dialectic. All of these are negative dialectics, meaning they don't really serve who we are, and all they do is they create more opposition. They create more conflict in society. They never resolve disputes and really help people to grow and learn. They only ever create more tension and more opposition. War being the biggest of them all. So Hegel's dialectic, known as the Hegelian dialectic, is an example, again, and this has positive connotations as well as negative, but in the modern day, most controllers refer to and exploit Hegel's dialectic in the negative sense to play these two polar forces against each other and they manage the, co the conflict, the outcome of the conflict. The Hegelian dialectic is known as artificial conflict resolution. Artificial conflict resolution. Meaning it's manufactured, it's based in conflict between two opposing forces and there's a re resolution involved that always works out to the way that the people who are manipulating the conflict want. It works out to their advantage. So I'm, I'm going to go to the caller in one moment. I just want to read what the Hegelian dialectic is all about. The Hegelian dialectic, formulated by Hegel, is the framework for guiding our thoughts and actions into conflicts that lead to a predetermined solution guiding our thoughts and actions into conflicts that lead to predetermined solutions. This is accomplished by manipulating consciousness into circular patterns of thought and action. The cul-de-sac before the gold mine, folks. Manipulating consciousness into circular patterns of thought and action. Spinning your wheels on the big hamster wheel. They running and going nowhere. 
You watch. I'll get out of this wheel. I'll just run faster. Good luck with that. That's how most cops think. That's how much most soldiers think. That's how much, most people who are committed to all institutionalized institutions in general, whether it be education, which we talked about in the last couple of weeks, whether it be banking institutions, whether it be political institutions, whether it be control-based institutions, police and military, religions, and on and on and on it goes. Committed. Spinning their wheels. They've been manipulated into circular patterns of thought and action in their consciousness. That's why they never do anything different, because they never think different. When they change their thoughts, they'll get off of that hamster wheel and they'll be able to take new action that is of true benefit to themselves. But until they change those thoughts and realize the controlled opposition, the dialectic that is being played upon them, they'll never get out of that hamster wheel. And that's exactly where the controllers want them. Continuing with an analysis of the Hegelian dialectic, this is about oppositions being managed meaning you have a, a thesis that you play off against an antithesis. It's opposite. It's polar opposite. To create a synthesis that you manage. Artificial outcome resolution. Artificial conflict resolution in which the outcome is, is managed. The education system that we talked about is a perfect example of this. You can't have ignorant kids. Well, what's going to be done about that? Let them come into our educational system and we'll give them a proper education as we see it and we'll set the curriculum for that. Therefore, their outcome is kids that can't critically think and therefore question what they're being told by their owners. The synthetic solution to these conflicts can only be introduced once those who are being manipulated take a side that will advance the predetermined agenda. So the synthetic solution can't be introduced unless those who are being manipulated take a side that advances the agenda that has already been chosen. In other words, they want the mice to go through the maze and go through into the other room, but... They give them a choice. There's, there's, there's two mazes, and ultimately they go into the same box. The mouse can choose one or the other at the beginning, but they ultimately lead to the same place. You know, the, the, the game where, here, pick a hand. If you pick the left hand, I'm going to smack you in the face. If you pick the right hand, I'm going to smack you in the face. It's just your choice. The mother who can't get her, her child to eat their vegetables and always is in a fight with them at the dinner table. So now they say, hey, Johnny, do you, want your, do you want to have corn or do you want to have peas? Do you want to have potatoes or do you want to have um, uh, cauliflower? Whatever. doesn't make a difference. They're giving them a false choice. You just want them to eat some kind of vegetable without an argument. So you give them the option to pick one, and they think they've made the choice, when in fact there was never any choice to begin with. They were going to eat some form of vegetable with their meal. You just made it look appealing by giving them a choice, and you're playing to their ego. Oh, I have a, I have a choice in what I'm going to eat. See, all about the ego. Oh, I have a choice about who I'm going to, what, what 
puppet master I'm going to vote for that's ultimately controlled by the same international banking cartels and, and the occultists that own them? Oh, well, thanks for giving me the choice. Because it just makes people believe that they have a modicum of freedom when they don't. The outcome is already predetermined. They know where they're going from the beginning. They're just giving you the choice to take yourself there willingly. A fake choice, a fake paradigm, a fake way of seeing reality. All based on their worldview, all based on their ideologies. You don't really have a choice when you're voting. You get the choice between two puppet masters. That's what politics is. It's an example of dialectic mechanics, and it is a specific example of Hegel's dialectic. This is controlled opposition, artificial conflict resolution. Manage the conflict so you can manage the outcome of the conflict. Let's go to the calls. Caller. You are on what on earth is happening. What do you have for us this evening? Caller, are you there? All right, I'm talking to guest number four on the switchboard. Going once, going twice, gone. All right, anybody wants to call in and discuss controlled opposition? The call-in number is 724-444-7444. The call ID number 83515. Uh, either that last caller had technical problems or just uh, got a little bit nervous. No problem. So the Hegelian dialectic in particular is one that philosophically comes out of socialism from the last century and I can read a little bit of something from a Soviet encyclopedia that explains its idea of what dialectics really are so this is from uh, an encyclopedia called the Great Soviet Encyclopedia and this is how they define dialectics this is interesting, particularly in light of the fact that this country is moving ever increasingly faster and faster toward a socialist regime that is essentially also fascist in its underlines through the corporatism that takes place in this country. So there's a, is a, 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 a marriage of corporate fascism and Marxist socialism. And that is what is really being propagated by the people in positions, seeming positions of power in politics, but it is simply because their financial overlords want that system to bring in total financial control and ultimately total physical control uh, once they have advanced this dialectic a little bit further along the line by creating enough chaos. So... This is the definition of a dialectic according to a Soviet encyclopedia. It is the doctrine of the most general principles of emergence and development. 
whose internal source is viewed as the unity of conflict between opposites. There it is right there. From a Soviet socialist encyclopedia. A doctrine of general principles whose source is viewed as the unity of conflict between opposites. Thesis meets antithesis to create synthesis. Synthetic union. Not an organic union, a synthetic one, meaning predetermined artificial conflict resolution. That's what this is ultimately about. That, that, that we have to understand the general concept of what controlled opposition is, much more so than we need to illustrate the examples. We could talk about the examples all we want, but unless we understand what the underlying psychological motivating factor of dialectical mechanics is, we don't really understand why they set it up like this. Why is this much more efficient of a system than a, than a dictatorship? A dictatorship is the prison you can see out in the open. The bars are right in front of your face. You know you're under control. But a dialectical system that gives you the illusion of choice that you're a participant in the political process, you never understand that it's ultimately a dictatorship that is managed by the financial elitists, quote-unquote. You'll never really get that. You can keep the mind going in the circle that is talked about in that definition of the Hegelian dialectic pretty much indefinitely. And that's why so many people in this country are spinning their wheels and still have no idea what's going on because they've fallen psychologically for this technique of manipulation. This is a mind control technique. I have another caller on the line here. Uh, if I see your call, I'll immediately go to it at this point. Sorry for not uh, getting to a couple of other callers earlier. Uh, I was on a roll there, and uh, uh, I apologize. So caller from southeastern Pennsylvania, you are on What on Earth is Happening? Go. Hey, Mark. It's Chris from New Jersey. How are you? Chris, how are you? Good to hear from you. Uh, I'm always listening, Mark. I didn't call in the last couple of weeks, but I'm always listening. Um, great, but, great. What do you have for us? Great that you're going over this Hegelian dialect. I first learned about it um, in reading David Icke's books, um, and he calls it Problem, Reaction, Solution. That's right. And I know you just mentioned that you know it's not so, so important that you really give examples of it as you understand just why they're utilizing it. Um, the, big, but the biggest example I can think of that I could comes to my mind that I think people can identify with is 9-11 and the Patriot Act. Right. Because 9-11 was designed for the Patriot Act to be implemented. That's, that's, my, that's what I believe is the case. Sure. And I'm going to extensively talk about 9-11 as a ritual, an occult ritual that is an embodiment of this principle taken up to a high occultic level, what is called a grand public ritual. And it's, it's rare when you actually see one of these implemented in the light of day. But 9-11 is what I call 
in my research, an example of chaos sorcery. Now, some people call this chaos magic, but I, I don't like the word chaos magic because I think they imply two different things that are antithetical to each other. Chaos in and of itself is something that we don't want to see. We don't want to see further conflict and chaos. We want to see order in our lives among, w amongst ourselves, but also within ourselves, not chaos. So chaos it doesn't go hand in hand with the word magic in the sense that I use it through my uh, research and, and presentation. So I call it chaos sorcery to delineate it from what I call magic, which is change, affecting change in accordance with higher will. Sorcery is affecting change in accordance with egoic will, like with low, selfish, right. ego-driven will. So 9-11, yeah. an absolute example of the Hegelian dialectic in practice, and a great example of what, yes, uh, the researcher David Icke calls problem, reaction, solution. In my work, I call it chaos, confusion, opportunity, because you need a chaotic problem. You need the problem to be perceived as, if we don't do something about this, there will be chaos. It has to be chaotic enough. Not just a, a regular problem will do. It has to be a chaotic one. The reaction that is sought is a reaction that will be a confused reaction. Not just any reaction will do. It has to be one of internal confusion, meaning that the person is in a deep, deep, subconscious state of fear. They're in a state of fear that is so deeply rooted into the subconscious mind that it parallels hypnosis. It, it is an analog to hypnosis. They're almost in a trance-like state because you have traumatized them so effectively. The chaos has traumatized them to the point where their state of consciousness is internal confusion, which we talked about as being the internal expression of, of fear-based consciousness in previous shows, when we did the shows on the aspects of consciousness. And then the third component is the opportunity. In the state of complete psychological breakdown and terror that is induced by your chaos, this internal confusion that you have manipulated someone into, that is the prime opportunity for you to advance your predetermined agenda because the person's guard is down and they're in a confused state. They don't understand what's happening and they're looking for safety from an outside source, which is you and which, is, which you are all too happy to provide if you're the manipulator, if you're the sorcerer. I'll save you from this. Here's the Patriot Act, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. The thing happened to Hitler, too, right? The, when they burned down the Reichstag. It's the same thing. It, exactly. It was called the Enabling Act to suspend yeah. the German Constitution. That's right. Thing. The, the other thing is, um, you know, I, I understand that you know, we have this illusion of choice, that we think, we, we think we're free, um, or we think we have a choice. But um, the reason I think that it's, it's so important that you point out that this dialect is that um, I think it was Van Gogh, Van Gogh said that uh, Van Gogh said that um, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. That was uh, uh, that was uh, uh, Goethe. Goethe said Goethe. that. Goethe, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
And that plays into this too because it's a very sneaky way of, of, of keeping you enslaved. That's right. Yeah. You'll never see the bars. You'll never see that you're being controlled if you believe you have choice. The choice is only there to provide the illusion that one is free. Right. That's it. And all political involvement is this because they are, they are both controlled by higher forces that have their own agendas at work. All voting is this. You are giving up your sovereignty to be represented. No one represents me. I maintain all rights. I reserve all rights. I am sovereign. I am not represented. I present me in this physical vehicle. I present my consciousness in my physical vehicle known as the body. Okay? No one else represents my interests. No one. Yeah, that's that's the problem with that. representative... I'm sorry. Go ahead. You guys. Oh, uh, that's the problem with re representative government at all, is that you are essentially giving over your consent to be represented, represented by your representative. And I don't give my consent for that. One of the things I find very fascinating about your show and in talking to you in general is, you know, the words they use, like like you brought up tonight, the soul dire. It's, right. It's obvious they drop the U, and the I, and it, it's soul, or they drop the U rather, and it's soldier. It sounds different right. to them. They they know what it means. They're soldiers. They're soul dire. Right. They call they can't call them soul dyers because that's too obvious. So they call them right. soldiers. And it's the same thing with right. represent, represent, representative. It's representative. Right. You don't think of what it really means. And That's so you, right. You know, you sit down and, and, and break down the words and where the words come from and what they mean, the, you know, the etymology of it. And, and that's what you're, I think that's a tremendous thing you're doing for us. People's minds are controlled through words. There's no doubt about it. That's why they call these spells. The, word, the, the concept of a spell in the occult comes from the use of words. And what is a spell? It's a series of words strung together to, to elucidate some kind of a reaction. And that's what a spell is. Word, the words that we use are, are what is ultimately imprisoning us in our unconscious use of them. Well, the, does, our, the, does our subconscious mind or, or unconscious mind um, recognize what soldier really means? Yes, it does. But until that is brought up to the conscious level, we cannot work with that knowing in the physical world. The physical world, we're dealing with the conscious level of awareness. You, you do know. And you did know, even before you heard that concept, that, that soldier means soul dire. And even though, yes, they do drop the U in the word soul, S-O-U-L, look at the word soul, S-O-L. What does that mean? It means Fun. our sun, the, the soul, the star. So yeah. Alistair Crowley said, every man and woman is a star. Well, you replace the word soul, S-O-L, in that sentence. Every man and woman is a soul. This is wordplay. This is more pun and wordplay. Have it backwards, right? Maybe S-O-L, S-O-U-L came from S-O-L. Yes, yeah, it, it did. Of course yeah. it did. Yeah. Yeah. So S-O-L means the, the light. That's the source from which we all come. And they're telling you that's dead. Your light is dead. 
right? But look, look, here's another example of it, Chris. It's great that you bring this up because I, lo- I, love, I love this more than anything. Getting into the words is one of my favorite things because if you can really comprehend green language, and this is called green language for a reason, okay? This is alchemical language. It's the language of true magic. The true magician can perceive this magic, can perceive this, these words and their meanings because it is the language of alchemy. And the alchemy we talked about is the vehicle for true magic, for the influence of the soul, for the influence of, to, toward higher elevations, toward higher levels of consciousness. Okay? So green language is called green language for a reason. Again, we started talking about colors last week a little bit. The left brain responds more to the red vibration. This is the low frequency of light. The right brain responds to the higher frequency of light, which is the blues and the violets. So if you go below the visible spectrum to the left of the spectrum or to the low range, right, this is called the infrared. We don't see in the infrared. We start seeing around the reds, up through the oranges, yellows, greens, which are right in the middle, then the blues, indigos, violets, and ultraviolets. So in general, these are called the blues on the left-hand side of the spectrum. So toward the, the, the I'm sorry, the right-hand side of the spectrum. So these are the frequencies that the right brain responds to, the blue frequencies in general, the higher frequencies. And we call them, when we get past the visible spectrum, the ultraviolet, because you're going out past the violet toward a higher frequency range. Now, of course, this is just what our sense organs we call the eyes can detect in the physical world. There is an infinite array of frequencies in both directions. But this narrow, limited bandwidth we see, and we call that the visible spectrum. Well, right in the middle between these two opposing wavelengths, red and blue, right, is green. Green is the fulcrum for the visible spectrum of light that we perceive with the eye. That's why it is the color of balance. It is the color of love because the heart represents the middle or the fulcrum of the body. It is right in the middle of the body, okay? And it also represents nature's color. Nature has an outpouring and an abundance of love for all of its creatures. That's why there is so much green in the world. We essentially live on the land surrounded by green, or we should be surrounded by green, and we should be surrounded by that green energy. This is why, where this word green energy comes from as well. This is why they color money green. They want to express to the subconscious, at least in the United States they do, they want to sub- express to the subconscious mind, here, take this, this is balance, this is nature, this is love. And it's Harmony, none right? of those things. It's none of those things. It's all mm-hmm. manipulation. Right? Does green symbolize harmony as well? Harmony. Harmonious interaction is green in occultism. Yes. The green language can only really be seen and perceived when one has balanced the opposites. See, this is the positive aspect of the union of opposites or the chemical wedding, the coming together of seeming opposites. See, there's always a positive side. We can't get into the habit of looking at all of this as purely negative, a dialectic. When you bring together the two polar opposites of the left brain and the right brain and use them both in conjunction, right, and use them both toward elevation of consciousness, they, they unite. And then the, the neocortex operates on what is known as global EEG coherence, 
which is basically the proper functioning of the higher brain, and this serves to awaken the prefrontal neocortex of the brain, which is where truly rational and critical thinking happen, okay, and also higher level conceptual thinking, like about rights and goodness and morals and ethics, right, and, and higher states of awareness. And that's called the opening of the third eye because it happens at the level of the pineal gland and it, 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 it actually joins with the activation of the pineal gland, which is a mystical gland referred to in ancient traditions as the third eye. So this is opening of the, the one eye that's in the middle of the head. The pineal gland is right in the, the geometric center of, of the head. This is why they put the one eye on money as well because you're connecting with this idea of balance of love, the heart chakra in, in um, the, the Vedic system of the, the whirling vortex, vortices of energy known as the chakras. The, the energy around the heart is called the heart chakra, and that's green. It's a 12-petal it's a, it's a green flower, okay? It's, it's true care. That's where true care is born. The ancient Egyptians saw the heart as the seat of the soul, Okay, so all of these concepts come together in this color, in this frequency called green. That's why this is called green language. So you brought up soul dire and talked about how it's the same as the soul, S-O-U-L, and S-O-L means the light, right? And this is, has died in the soldier. They're telling them that their light is died. Now, let's look at green language. Now, that's just what I just laid out there is a setup for going into another piece of green language. But you need to understand that little bit to understand what they're saying with the word military. Military. People don't break this word down into its constituent phonetic elements. Now, this works by phonetic breakdown. Okay? And it doesn't matter how the word is pronounced in the English language, in the native language of the person who's speaking it. It's also about how it is written. Look at the word military. Write it down on a piece of paper so you can actually look at the word in front of your face. M-I-L-I-T-A-R-Y. Military. Okay? Now, let's look at the first syllable in the word. Military, right? M-I. Now, that's not where you would actually syllabically break it, but that's the first two letters. M-I is my Yes, it's pronounced with a short I in the actual word, but when you're writing it out, you're writing the word my, M-I. I know my, I understand in English, my is written M-Y, I get it. If you try to pick this apart logically and with the left brain, it will make no sense. It's, you're not going to understand how this is something that is, it, this is a conjuration. This is a spell by occultists, they made the word military the way that they did for a reason, okay, in the English language. M-I, my, L-I-T. Now, you could say lit, but if you pronounce it with a long I, that's light, L-I-T, light. A-R-Y, ari, right? That's a word that means light. Ari is a, a word that means light, right? But also, it means, if we actually just pronounce it, awry. A-R-Y. Awry. Well, what word is, what does awry mean? 
There is an English word that is phonetically pronounced like awry. A-W-R-Y. Awry. It means it has gone astray. It has wavered off path. So in the word military, you're actually saying the three, the sil- in the syllables, the phonetic words that you are pronouncing, if you look at how it is written in the English language, you are saying, my light awry. My light awry. Think about this. You're saying your light has gone awry. Your spirit has gone awry. Your soul has gone awry. It has gone off the path because you've been able to be manipulated to be a killer. Right. Military. My light uh, awry. That's called green language. Everybody subconscious knows this. Yes. Wow. Well, that's only just if, only until so, we understand how to control the subconscious, we can we can we can get our, get ourselves out of this mess real fast. If we could tap into it, absolutely, it would it would happen very quickly. Sadly, the process usually is a linear one that involves knowledge, and I'm not I don't hold out hope for that sudden awakening of the subconscious mind. Now, in certain traditions, in Eastern traditions, I've spoken about this briefly on the show before, they call that a satori moment. The satori is the sudden awakening where one suddenly becomes conscious of what is actually going on and they can see things suddenly. I don't hold out hope that we're going to tap into the subconscious that quickly and it's going to happen just overnight. I do believe that it needs to happen in a stepwise progression from the level of consciousness where people have worked themselves into at the present moment. Knowledge is a critical factor, and we have to understand how this language of symbols and words works because this is, these are the techniques of the occult. And again, there are people who will say, that's crazy. Oh, you're reading into things. That makes no sense. It's, it's too simple and, and it's too juvenile to, to work like that. No, that is how simple it is. It does work at that level. Your mind hears the word military and immediately knows it means my light awry. You hear the word soldier and the subconscious already knows what's being said. That's why, that's why these words are even crafted in these ways, because they're saying something to you without saying it in the language you understand. They're going I to believe say that, Mark, because when you listen to a song backwards, there's hidden messages in songs backwards. But when you listen to it in your conscious mind, you don't hear them. You don't, but your subconscious mind has the ability, I guess, to play things in reverse. So if it can do it that, it can, certainly, it can certainly take long vowels and short vowels and switch them. That's right. Your subconscious mind is all-knowing. When you look at, a, at an advertisement with a subliminal in it, you may not consciously perceive the word sex or power or money embedded into the ad, okay? But your subconscious does, and then you're resonating with that ad. Yeah. And you, you want the product or service, but you don't really consciously understand why. Because it's selling you something, but it's not selling it to you at a conscious level. It's selling it at a subconscious level. And your subconscious mind is all-knowing. You already know everything at that level of being. The trick is to bring up the awareness from the unconscious and subconscious levels to bring it up to the conscious level. 
And that can take a lifetime to do depending on how calcified the ego layer, which sits above that, is. It won't let yeah, that break. That's what I'm trying to do in my personal life. I'm trying to, to understand that. Um, the, the process is, I, I don't, you know, I mean, it's, it's foreign to me in the sense that no one ever taught it to me, but it makes a lot of sense. And it, I also come to the realization that we don't understand what our brains are, how our minds work. And That's right. these people have, under, they, they know how to manipulate us and, and make us think that we're making decisions and that, that we know everything and we don't know anything because we don't know how our own minds work. That's and right. it, it reminds me of that movie, They Live. If people watch that movie, they might get an understanding, a better understanding of what you're talking about. One of the greatest movies ever made, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, John Carpenter completely outdid himself. This is a must-see. This is the movie of our times, as far as I'm concerned. A total B movie with a low budget, but the allegory that, that he is putting out there in this movie is such a high-level spiritual allegory that I, I recommend everybody must see that movie if they have not seen it. If you don't know what they live is or if you haven't seen it, rent it immediately from whatever you can source get it on you, Google video. you can get it on Google Video, and it's been on AMC as well. I've seen it a couple times on there. Um, and I, I, one thing I find interesting what you're saying is, you know, you read in the Bible, um, they have eyes but they cannot see. And that's kind right. of what they live is talking about. These people have eyes, but they can't see what's right in front of them. And, and when they, that's right. You see with your subconscious, or you see with your third eye, and and that's right. not easy to open up. And it's not going to be done like you say in a left brain process. You have to kind of, you have to kind of unlearn things and just trust your 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 own being to, to get the to, answer. You have to open your mind and critically take things in with an open mind, so that you're employing the informational analytical side and logical side of the left brain, but in conjunction with the side of the brain that is in a deeper connection with the subconscious and with creative energies and with nurturing energies, which is the right brain. It's, it's called it's a, thinking, right? You could call it green thinking is what you were just saying. With that's green right. Language. Thinking, so. Because you're, you're in between the frequency spectrum right at the fulcrum of balance. That's where green is. This is why they use the red and blue colors on the police car lights. They're hitting you with the opposite extremes of light. This is, this is another occult tactic. It's also basically mocking the police again and saying, this is where your brain is at these extremities. You're in the total left brain and total right brain. You're in the total left brain when it comes to those you're dealing with, and you're in the total right brain when it comes to dealing with your owners. Well, and they're, they're them, telling that. I've learned a lot um, listening to you just in the last 10, 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to let you go because you have to finish up your show, and maybe someone else wants to call in as well. But it's Great. always a pleasure listening to you, and thank you so much. Chris, thanks so much for calling in. Take care, man. Right, take care. Bye-bye. Chris from New Jersey, always great to hear from you. Another caller on the line. Here we go. Caller from New York. You are on What on Earth is Happening? What do you have for us? How are you, Mike? Uh, how are you, Mark? It's uh, Mike from New York. Hey, how are you? How are you? I'm just going to kind of make this quick. I'll blast through it. Um, the, uh, in terms of uh, what, what the controllers are trying to do is uh, basically is they're trying to create a world of uh, control and manipulation through the mind, body, and spirit. And that within itself, uh, the energy from that, the reflection of the soul, uh, through the controller's eyes, is basically they're trying to create a world that uh, 
through manipulation that they have total control and enslavement over it and they can visually see it in one uh in one sitting so to speak and that's sort of like uh a, a slap in the face of god you know because god is sort of like a reflection of you know we're reflecting back to god and god is questioning you know his creation at the same time and growing along uh with us being co-creators but the illusion of choice <laughs> i wanted to go into that just like we got mac pc and linux and a few small others, uh, it's the illusion of choice. There's really no difference um, right. in any of them. Uh, and the, uh, the ideologies of, uh, of these people are really, are really insane. But you were talking about the arch. is uh, the, the ritual that uh, Jordan Maxwell talks about when you walk under it, uh, the two, uh, two columns, the energy uh, overhead of you pushing down on you. Uh, it's right. also it's a ritual that goes back either to uh, the uh, Saturn or uh, I believe uh, Mars uh, that the Pope does, where he walks under the archway. Right. Uh, and also uh, the uh, to prepare uh, for the spiritual war to come home to everyone because it's been going on, but you know some people are not awake to it yet. And the best way to do that is uh, through personal reflection. Um, I'm not I'm not really big on people that or really big on personally uh, doing like meditation or any other type of stuff. I want to, you know, sometimes you can get some bad information that can take you in the wrong direction. But, you know, through, I found through personal reflection and, and knowing knowing thyself uh, is the strongest, strongest thing you can have. Because sometimes we feel that we, we need to reflect and have heroes and, and saviors or even through music or inspirations and things like that. Yes. But sometimes we find that we're our own biggest uh, inspiration in life, and uh, doing what we love is really the reflection back uh, that we need in this planet. Whether you think it's, you know, we're all just one part of it, and we're all connected in some way, and uh, by doing this, uh, it's already changed uh, the future, it's already changed the past, and, you know, we're only living in the now. So I just wanted Absolutely. to say that. Thank you. Have a good night. Mike, you bring up some great points, man. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Have a great night, Mark. Thank you. You got it. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely a, a great point that Mike just mentioned about um, uh, meditation. Now, I will talk a little bit about that when we talk about solutions, but I do also agree with him that reflection and contemplation can be even much more powerful tools than meditation because meditation is a more of a right brain modality of thought in, in, uh, in um, contrast with, with logic and concentration but contemplation brings both of these aspects together when we reflect and it's saying so much right there in the word the universe reflecting something back to us and us reflecting something to it contemplation is the lost modality of human thought and this is embodied in higher level occultic traditions this modality of thought which is has been traditionally referred to as daydreaming. Just reflecting upon your life, about your relationships, of what is taking place, not really concentrating on something, not really meditating and clearing the mind of thoughts, but simple reflection and contemplation. It can be the most powerful modality of thought that we are capable of experiencing, and it can bring out some of the most powerful ideas to the conscious level. So I thank Mike for bringing that up, and uh, you're very on point with uh, your understanding of that. 
Uh, I just want to say a couple of things before we wrap up. The first is, I think uh, we made a lot of great points tonight about how the controlled oppositional paradigm works, some of the vehicles it works through, and why this is such a powerful manipulation tool of the mind. That's the critical thing to understand here. The second thing I want to say is the caliber of callers that we get on this show, I can't say enough about. I've said this before, but I feel honored and blessed to have the, 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 the high-level thinkers and really high-consciousness people to call into this show. Uh, it makes this show what it is, and I uh, really encourage you guys to keep calling in with great ideas and great uh, conversation because that's how we're going to change this place. And um, uh, I don't think any, I've never heard any other radio show that has callers like this. So uh, I, I'm always amazed and, and pleasantly surprised by that. But, you know, in a way I'm not because I know there's a lot of other people out there that really, really are working to be very effective change agents in the world, true positive change agents. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for that uh, and let it be known that I appreciate uh, the, those who call into the show. So with that having been said, I want to uh, quickly mention something that I neglected earlier on in the show when I usually make my announcements. Um, Revolution Broadcasting is having an all-day marathon for 9-11 Truth on Saturday, September 11th. I have been uh, generously asked by Bob Tuscan, the host of Truth Be Told Radio, to come on and host an hour segment of the marathon. So I'll be doing that, and hopefully I'll have a uh, special guest that will come on the air during that time. I don't know when my time slot is yet. I'll be finding that out shortly. But everybody be sure to tune in to um, Revolution Broadcasting at revolutionbroadcasting.com on Saturday, September 11th, an all-day marathon for 9-11 Truth. We're going to look at where the 9-11 Truth movement has been and where it is now and where it is going. What are some more effective techniques that we can employ to get this critical information about what really happened and didn't happen on 9-11 out to the general population? And um, I will be discussing 9-11 as an example of this controlled oppositional paradigm, specifically as the use uh, of the Hegelian dialectic in action. And again, what I briefly started going into with Chris as a mechanism for what I term chaos sorcery, which is one of the highest ritualized manipulation tactics and it is one of the uh, big three guns that I like to refer to it as. But there's three really big guns of manipulation that are brought out when essentially all other, all other uh, methods of mind control and manipulation fail. Chaos sorcery is the very last that is, that is brought out. Okay, um, and this is one, again, that can have the most powerful and rigid impact upon the human psyche because it is a technique of trauma-based mind control. 
but it is a technique of trauma-based mind control at a mass level. Trauma-based mind control, which we talked about when Neo was on the show, and to briefly mention that, I'm going to have him on probably in two weeks, maybe three weeks, but it will be one week in September to discuss healing modalities for trauma-based mind control, methods that he himself has employed to deal with the horrid nature of the abuse that he suffered earlier in his life. So that will be one that will be of a lot of interest to, to listeners that may have experienced this themselves or may know others who have been put through this horrific psychological and physical abuse as children. So um, on the 9-11 marathon, I will be getting into 9-11 as an occult ritual for a bit, and I will be hopefully interviewing a special guest to be determined yet that is active in the 9-11 truth community. So that will be Saturday, September 11th, 2010, on the Revolution Broadcasting Network all day, an all-day marathon for 9-11 Truth, revolutionbroadcasting.com. Be sure to tune in. You're going to hear some great information on that day. So um, I think that is about it for the show today. In, the, in future shows, uh, topics that I'm going to soon be getting into is the financial system of enslavement through debt. And we're going to be talking about central banks. We'll be talking about the Federal Reserve System. And I'm going to also try to have a very special guest, which I'm not going to announce yet, in in the next couple of weeks to to bring on as an expert to talk about the financial system that has been erected in the United States and throughout the world as a vehicle and a mechanism for control of our minds, bodies, and souls. So stay tuned for that in the next few weeks. For now, I'm going to uh, wrap things up for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Be sure to check out my website, whatonearthishappening.com. Tune in here live every Tuesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on Revolution Broadcasting. And check out the conference website for Free Your Mind at freeyourmindconference.com. Thank you for listening, everyone. Good night.